Tyreek is out left. Going to run a deep route. Tua going to step up. Oh, oh got hit from behind. The ball is out. It is picked up. Run back the other way by Dre Greenlaw. A scoop and score. Touchdown! San Francisco! Big so you know how sometimes you can be so deliriously excited about something awesome that just happened that it takes a minute or so to realize that you're also in incredible pain? Because that was the sound of the 49ers beating the Dolphins on Sunday, stripping to a tongue of Iloa, running that fumble into the end zone to win the game. Only to announce minutes after that their starting quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, will be out for the entire season. So today, we ask Mina Kimes to tell us where all of this leaves San Francisco's Super Bowl chances, now in the hands of a third stringer named Brock Purdy. Why Patrick Mahomes cannot beat the Bengals, and whether the Vikings and South Korea are for real. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, December 5th. This is ESPN Daily. So, Mina Kimes, we came into this Dolphins-Niners game so excited to learn things about Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan, the friendship, the boss-employee dynamic that has sort of, like, blown up the NFL. But instead, we get chaos. We get an explosion of a totally different kind because Jimmy Garoppolo gets sacked and he needs to be carted off. And the result is where we should start, right? It's it's the broken foot, meaning he is out for the rest of the year. So just your reaction to that news before anything else. Well, Pablo, my first reaction was this doesn't just affect this game, which, of course, the Niners would go on to win. And we'll talk about that performance. This is the kind of injury that affects the landscape of the NFL. Mm. Um, the Niners are a Super Bowl caliber team. They have one of, if the not best defenses in the NFL, which you certainly saw on display today. So for them to lose, not they're just their starting quarterback, but actually their backup quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo after the trade deadline right. completely changes everything for them. Just to refresh people's memories here, I mean, Jimmy G, who, yes, came in in replacement of Trey Lance, who they paid all of those picks to acquire, Jimmy G was looking how before he got hurt over the last, like, five games or so. You know, he, he was playing pretty well. Um, didn't have his best game against the Saints, but I would say, you know, after the beginning of the season, once things got rolling, he was executing the Niners' offense to perfection, which is not surprising, Pablo, because he has a lot of experience executing the Niners' offense. And the Niners' offense, let's be clear, is a machine. I mean, it is stocked full of some of the best skill players in the league, guys who can get you yards after contact, yards after the catch. Really, all they need is a point guard, someone who isn't going to turn the ball over and can make the sort of throws that Kyle Shanahan schemes up, and now it's going to fall upon Brock Purdy to see if he can be that point guard. So Brock Purdy and the Brock Purdy question, I mean, look, yeah, this is the third time in the last five seasons, by the way, that Jimmy G has ended the year on injured reserve. Maybe we should have foreseen, I guess, Brock Purdy on some level. Mm. But what do we know about Brock Purdy? What have you learned about Brock Purdy having now watched Brock Purdy beat the Dolphins? Well, the first thing I learned upon Googling him is that we're from the same hometown, Gilbert, Arizona. So 
I guess I'm now a Brock Purdy fan. Um, also, by the way, your best friend, Ryan Fitzpatrick, another late round quarterback from Gilbert, Arizona. Who I imagine may or may not be getting a call about whether oh, or not he wants snap. to join this circus. But, you know, I well, speculate Gilbert on there Gilbert entirely. Crime. Uh, that is totally possible because uh, Brock Purdy is, they call it Mr. Irrelevant, the last player picked. So the 47th Mr. Irrelevant, Mr. Irrelevant 2022, with the 262nd pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the San Francisco 49ers select Brock Purdy, a quarterback from Iowa State. I hate that term, by the way. We should stop saying that. I think it's insulting and unnecessary, but um, <laughs> he did become the first Mr. Irrelevant to throw a touchdown in today's game. And uh, yeah, you know, aside from being from Iowa State and uh, yeah, having success there, I, frankly, I didn't know a lot about him. So I guess what I know, I learned from watching him today. And I thought he played pretty well. I mean, like I said, the Niners offense is a bit of a machine. I mean, he averaged something like five air yards per attempt, which is not unlike Jimmy Garoppolo normally, frankly. Mm. Uh, but he also, Pablo, I thought, made some pretty tough throws under pressure. Uh, and he had to throw the ball yeah. a lot because um, the Dolphins stacked the box. I think uh, something like at least 75% of Christian McCaffrey's runs were into stacked boxes, 10 to 15. So um, he had to throw the ball. And uh, I thought for the most part, acquitted himself pretty well in a, a challenging situation. But he even feels like, I mean if we're going to talk about the game, we should probably zoom out and zoom in on a different part of the Niners, right? I mean, for all the talk about offense here, um, it, it felt like the coach's name that we really should be mentioning is not Mike McDaniel. It's not Kyle Shanahan. It is probably the guy running the Niners defense, no? Yeah, D'Amico Ryan, the Niners defensive coordinator, is probably going to be a head coach next year. He um, I was a head coaching candidate last year because... Uh, the Niners' defense is incredible. They were amazing last year. They have even stepped it up this year, made some additions on that side of the ball, um, and it really showed up in this game. The pass rush, the four-man rush, they don't really have to blitz, is outstanding. And, and this was gonna, always going to be an issue in this game um, because the Dolphins were down both of their starting tackles, Teron Armstead and Austin Jackson. This is not mm. the four-man rush you want to be missing your starting tackles against. <laughs> um, they also have... I believe the best off-ball linebacker in football in Fred Warner. And that's really, really important against the Dolphins because Tua Tagovailoa in this Mike McDaniel offense measures and throws over the middle of the field, which is where Warner patrols <laughs> with great success. Uh, and the Niners defense won really on that side today. Yeah, I mean, they picked off Tua two times. They held the Dolphins offense, which was, what, I think number two by DVOA, yeah. the uh, nerd stat that we like. Um, and they were held to 17 points. And and so, you know, I, I guess the Tua end of this, like if you're the Dolphins, if I were to tell Tua Non that, hey, um, <laughs> Jimmy G is going to get knocked out of the game and you go on to lose that game, I think that feels like um, something of a nightmare. So how do you think mm. it was for Tua on the field today? I'll be straight up. He didn't have a good game. Um, especially in the first half. You know, the, the pressure certainly got to him at times, but even in a clean pocket, he looked uncomfortable. Um, the, he was getting the ball out pretty quick, but it looks sometimes he was rushing his throws. He was off target a lot. Uh, so there's a, a stat, Pablo, that I know Bill Barnwell uses on this show, completion percentage over expected, which is basically yeah. how many passes should a quarterback be completing based on you know the difficulty of the throw is a shorthand way 
Uh, and so Tua typically ranks very high in that. But today he finished with a completion percentage over expected of negative 14.5%, which without looking, I'm sure mm. is his worst of the season. Uh, now that said. Yeah, sounds bad. Not great. Not great. Um, this is, like I said, the best defense or one of the best defenses in the NFL. And, you know, being down both of your starting tackles certainly impacted his performance. Jalen Waddle was out for some of the game as well. So you know, it wasn't the best conditions for Tua. But, you know, I would be lying if I said that he played well. I mean, he had gone, I believe, 203 consecutive pass attempts without a pick. He threw two on consecutive passes in this game. And so as the shine appears to have come off a bit on, on all of that, I, let's return to the Niners here because the Niners have won five straight. But this question of like this team at that, as you've described it, has pretty much everything except for the quarterback. I mean, on the one hand, this is its own obvious nightmare for the Niners. But on the other hand, this is kind of a dynamic that, or at least a criticism that they've been facing for a while. Do you think this team has enough, given what we've talked about and outlined so far, to win? It's going to be pretty challenging, Pablo. Um, you know, the, the NFC is not great. The best team, I guess what well, you would definitely say, the Eagles at this point. Um, but, you know, people are looking at the Niners, the Eagles, the Cowboys, but it, it felt like a very winnable conference with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes. Now with him out of the picture, it's a lot trickier. It is the most, I would say, well, really, San Francisco and Miami both are pretty close in this regard, but it's an extremely quarterback-friendly offense. It's obviously a great defense. But asking, you know, a seventh-round draft pick to step up and, live up to those expectations, Super Bowl expectations, it's a pretty tall ask even for a coach as good as Kyle Shanahan. And I just saw that they did just sign Josh Johnson off the Broncos practice squad. Shout out to him. This is his 14th team, the most for a player ever. And as for the Trey Lance part of this, is that at all realistic, him coming back? So Trey got hurt in September, very early in the season. He fractured his ankle. He had surgery. Um, at the time, it was like a four to six month timeline. So I guess optimistically, there's a possibility mm. he could return for the playoffs. But, um, <laughs> you know, that is seems like a bit of a reach. And also, we should note uh, the Niners just IR'd Elijah Mitchell, Javon Kinlaw, their defensive tackles also on the injured reserve. So they would have to only bring back one of those players if they were to bring back Trey. Yeah. And so at the very end, do you have... Do you have a suggestion for what they do at quarterback? <laughs> I mean, what what possibly, what what's on the table here, Mina? Realistic. You have Ryan Fitzpatrick's number, right? Why don't you hit him up? <laughs> <laughs> I got Ryan Fitzpatrick. I got uh, RG three. I got the Alex news. Smith. Yeah, we have all oh, of these man. podcasters now who are available. That's true. Yes, for the Niners. <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got quite quite yeah the the trio. So why don't you send out some texts and see if anyone gets back to you? <laughs> all right. I mean, after the break, we get to two teams, the Chiefs and the Bengals, for whom quarterback is, yeah, thankfully, not a problem. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. 
Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So the other big game that we all had circled on Sunday is the rematch of the AFC title game, Mina. It's Chiefs at Bengals, and this one, I mean, it had Patrick Mahomes going vertical into the end zone. Snap to Mahomes, looking right. Now pumping, he'll run it, up the middle, he dives, and the ball's out! They're going to give him a touchdown, did he break the plane? They will call it touchdown! Kansas City! It had Joe Burrow going horizontal into the end zone. Burrow runs a quarterback draw. Joe slicing toward the end zone, waiting for the touchdown signal. There it is! Touchdown, Bengals! And in the end, it was Burrow and T. Higgins connecting with about a minute 25 left in the game that sealed the win for the Bengals, a 27-24 win for the Bengals, which, by the way, happened to be the exact same score as the aforementioned AFC title game last year. So first, I guess, how similar did the two games look to you? You know, I actually didn't think they were that similar despite the parallels, Um, mostly because the first time around last year, it was more of a meltdown by Kansas City. You know, I almost... um, Mm didn't want to give as much credit to Cincinnati. I thought there was a bad blitz that the Chiefs shouldn't have called. And Patrick Mahomes made some really uncharacteristic mistakes and they looked totally unprepared for what the Bengals were doing on defense. Whereas this time, I felt like the Bengals looked like the better team. That's the difference for me. Mm. Um, You know, they didn't win because of the Chiefs' mistakes. I mean, you know, Kelsey did have a fumble and Chiefs probably would have won had he not fumbled and there were some bad penalties. But they just looked very complete. They looked battle-tested. And despite the rough beginning that they had to their season in Cincinnati, I actually think they're a better team now than they were last year. Oh, wait, so what did you learn about the Bengals today? Because it sounds like you are feeling a lot more confident <laughs> in Cincinnati than, than I remember hearing you, uh, like, maybe on Friday, even. Yeah, I, I, the Bengals' offense, in particular, to me... Um, looks, I would say, more prepared for everything. (laughs) Um, You know, obviously getting Jamar Chase back was enormous, and uh, Joe Burrow was targeting his wide receivers a lot more in this game, but he also was incredibly patient, willing to work underneath, getting the ball out quickly. He had a 2.55 second time to throw, which is very quick. And as a result, He wasn't sacked. He wasn't as pressured as often as he's been. This, to me, has been one of the biggest differences in Joe Burrow this season. One of the ways in which he's grown as a quarterback is he's gotten better versus pressure. Some of that, too, involves some timely scrambles. He's he's always been very good at scrambling, but he's really good at managing the pocket, um, evading pressure, and keeping plays alive without trying to do much. And I really thought that was on display against Kansas City Pablo, he didn't throw any deep balls in this game, Mm. and it didn't matter. And for me, that's a really big differentiator from last year where you felt like the Bengals' offense sometimes lived and died based on whether they had success with those goal balls to chase. Yeah, I mean, the whole, like, f*** it, Jamar's down there somewhere kind of offense was not the offense that they ran. They had Joe Burrow running. I mean, you mentioned it, 11 carries, 46 Mm -hmm. yards, a rushing touchdown. I mean, that aspect of his game, which I had forgotten about, honestly— um, it sounds like you liked it, though. I mean, that part of it makes sense to you. Yeah, you know, the Chiefs, I was hoping they wouldn't blitz too much. Um, 
our friend Spencer Hall calls them emotional blitzes, right? Uh, when a defensive <laughs> coordinator just has to do it. And it, by the way, when they did a blitz, Joe Burrow went six for seven with a passer rating of 152. But it wasn't anything excessive. Um, for the most part, he was just kind of taking what was available to him. And then, you know, I, I would say these Bengals skill players really showed out in this one. And we talked about Jamar Chase, but T. Higgins, of course, had the key um, first down to ice the game. And, and when Chase was out, you really saw um, why people in Cincinnati believe Higgins could be a number one receiver, you know, if, if not for Chase, which is uh, he does win those one-on-ones. He makes those really, really tough catches. And I should also mention, by the way, Samaje Pirine, another mm-hmm. unsung hero, had a fantastic game running on the ground. Well, the other thing that's so impressive about the way the Bengals played, you know, is just defensively them turning over yes. Patrick Mahomes. I mean, this is the Chiefs' seventh consecutive game with a turnover. Um, how much of that is the Bengals' defense? How much of this is obviously a pattern or some sort of trend line that you've noticed with Kansas City specifically? There's a lot of things that I think go into why the Bengals' defense has had so much success against Patrick Mahomes. Um, they seem to constantly perplex him in coverage. So he he was pressured on 38% of dropbacks and went one for nine, which kind of tells the story of the game. But he was also holding on to the ball a long time. You saw a return uh, at moments of the uh, drop eight, the dreaded drop eight that you saw in the playoffs last year. Mm. But the reality is uh, the Bengals have good players at every level. I mean, yep. DJ Reader, who was a superstar last week, was a superstar yet again today. And you had like contributions from Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. Joseph Asai had a big play in this game. He sacked Patrick Mahomes and forced the field goal. And then ultimately it was another unsung hero, uh, Jermaine Pratt, who's one of their linebackers, who took the ball out of Kelsey's hands. It just feels like the Bengals don't have like the biggest names, but they have solid role players at every level who can contribute in games like this. And they left Patrick Mahomes, I mean, limping around, right? I mean, you saw that, didn't you? Like, did you notice yeah. that? How much of a worrisome thing is that at this point? Because obviously it led to this field goal that Andy Reid tried with Harrison Butker that was missed, as you alluded to. But how much of that is now front of mind for you? Yeah, it is concerning because, you know, Mahomes has been injured uh, before. His ankle has been hurt and it's meaningful because the threat of him taking off, especially versus man coverage, is a huge part of what makes the Chiefs hard to stop as well as his usual ability to make plays outside of the pocket. And to your point, um, I suspect they probably would have gone for it on fourth down there, fourth and short, if he had not been hurt. So that was a, a meaningful injury in this game and potentially a meaningful one going forward as they try to you know get that number one seed. Yeah, and so... The Bengals just owning the Chiefs. I mean, look, they say, right, that like uh, three things is a trend. Mm. It feels like this is now officially a thing. Um, What do the Chiefs need to do, Mina, to make this like no longer a thing? Well, this really came down to a few plays. Like Travis Kelsey needs to hold on to the football and maybe we're having a different conversation. But I think my point there is not that the Bengals got lucky. I don't believe that at all. It's rather that these teams are very close and the Chiefs can't afford to make mistakes like that or have a rather lackluster first half um, if they want to hang with Cincinnati at this point because the gap between the two teams isn't what it used to be. And coming up, we have the Vikings, we have the Jets, and we have a, yeah, we have another kind of football that obviously you had to figure we were going to ask you about. 
Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So the whole Vikings thing, or the Vikings good thing, it's been a roller coaster. They obviously beat the Bills. That is where they get their legitimacy. It's a dramatic victory. They get just destroyed by the Cowboys, 40 to 3. They beat the Patriots on Thanksgiving week. And then this week, they're up 20 to 6 at the end of the first half against the Jets. And the Jets just creep back in. They hang around until the very end when Mike White did this. Fourth and 10 from the Vikings 19. Minnesota leads by five. Zadarius Smith comes flying up the center. Mike White hit as he throws. Throws to the goal strike and it's intercepted by Cam Bynum. And that is your ball game. So what did we learn here about the Vikings as they hang on to win 27 to 22 over, yeah, Mike White's New York Jets? Well, Pablo, ESPN Stats and Info put this one out. The Vikings are 9-0 and in one-score games. It's the most consecutive one-score wins in a season in NFL history. Um, so we should probably start there. But translate that for us, because I know in the analytics community, right, like that kind of smells like luck, doesn't it? It is luck. It doesn't mean the Vikings aren't good. I'll praise them in a second. We can talk about what they did well in this game. But typically... Um, if you win a lot of one-score games, your luck tends to turn at some point. Also, by the way, in the other direction, I think you're finally seeing that with the Raiders, who are super unlucky at the beginning of the season, are starting to win some games. Um, mm. b- yeah, because, you know, it's just... It kind of means things went your way, and it's also reflected in other things like DVOA, point differential, all the various stats people look at to try to figure out if teams are actually good. That said, I thought the Vikings did some impressive things in this one, particularly on defense, you know, against a Jets offense that, um, well, they certainly looked a lot better last week against Chicago. Well, the, the Jets offense, I mean, on paper, right, you look at the numbers and they outgained the Vikings by like 200 yards. 
And yet here we are, 27 to 22, a loss. What what happened there? Yeah. Like, what was the reason why the Jets just could not, you know, actually score? Yeah, if you go one for six in the red zone, you're probably not going to win. So, that, I mean, that's the, you know, single biggest reason why Minnesota won this one. Well, the Jets also went three for 16 on third down. So that's, you know, the other reason. Also that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so with Mike White kind of last year, he had an incredible game and then kind of came back to earth. So, you know, in this one coming off of a win against a very, very lackluster, shall we say, Chicago defense, uh, I was curious to see how Mike would Mike White would perform. Wow, I almost called him Mike, which I don't think anyone has ever done in the history of NFL commentary. That would have been unprecedented. <laughs> it's only Mike White. <laughs> Mike White, Mike White, Mike White. Um, Always full day. Mike White, Mike White, Mike White. It's okay, is how I would summarize it. Um, you know, I, I thought for the most part, he wasn't great under pressure, but he wasn't under pressure a lot. I thought the Vikings were surprisingly good in coverage in this one, I thought the Jets would be able to exploit them more off of play action. But for the most part, you know, the Vikings linebackers in their secondary, I thought played the Jets pretty tight. It was a lot of tight window throws, which again speaks to the coverage. And, you know, that's that's notable because this is a Vikings team that has been mostly led by their offense thus far. So to have their defense, I think, come through in this one um, was pretty meaningful as we look ahead to the playoffs. And by the way, like all of the Mike White, Mike White, Mike White shirts that the Jets wore in to the game that were customized, it feels like, yeah, they're going to ride with him, even though they're currently seven and five. And who knows where the season goes? It doesn't seem like the playoffs are anything close to guaranteed. But for the Vikings, like Kirk Cousins has always, you know, been their answer. Mm. Uh, He was 21 of 35 today, 173 yards, one touchdown, not super inspiring, as you were alluding to. Am I missing something deeper about this team if I continue to circle him as a big reason why a 10-2 and two team continually feels like they're not quite as good as 10-2? and two? Kirk Cousins is kind of like, what do they call it, a Rorschach test? or Yeah, inkblot. An inkblot, you know, if you look at it, yeah. everybody kind of looks at him and sees something different. And part of that is because I think his performances can be a little bit all over the place. Usually at the end of the season, they add up to pretty good numbers, but there's some ups and downs. I thought Thanksgiving was an up. And for me, this one was a bit of a down. Now we should note that the Jets defense is fantastic. And Kirk Cousins was under a significant amount of pressure in this game. In fact, when the Jets didn't blitz, so when they just sent four, they pressured him on 40% of dropbacks, which is a lot. The Jets also, you know, are very good in coverage. I thought, DJ Reed uh, did a good job. I mean, Jefferson Jefferson's going to eat, but for the most part, the Jets' corners, their secondary did a decent job against the Vikings through the air. Um, but ultimately, like, he did enough. You know, it was enough but combined with the Jets' struggles in the red zone. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> just because enough he did enough is like you know not the most glowing report card but it is technically a report card yeah you know he didn't turn the ball over true and ultimately you know i talked about the red zone performance i would say just the difference in turnovers is really the difference in this game yeah well let's move from uh cousins to a son Mina, because you are a football analyst. That is your title. (laughs) Yes, you see what I did there. And the most important recent football news of the past few days started with Sun Heung-min assisting Huang Hee-chan in stoppage time against Portugal 
on one of the great goals of this entire World Cup, sending South Korea to the knockout round. So what was your reaction to that? I'm going to give you a second so that you can bleep out what I'm about to say. Holy f- <laughs> Holy sh- He f- did it. <laughs> I was losing my mind. I believe that's what that call translates to. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. It was amazing. Oh, it was so good. It was, so it was good. amazing. And then couple of that yeah. with watching the finish of Uruguay Ghana at the same time. Uh, and then watching the Korean players watch that finish and then watching the Ghanaian fans react to that finish and then cheer for the Korean players. I mean, that's what the World Cup is all about, right? Um, incredible uh, upsets and petty grievances. Yes, and articles that explain that, in fact, the South Korean players were not wearing bras. Those were like uh, harnesses for like accelerometers. Yeah. Because the celebration was Sun throwing his mask down and then... Yeah, Huang Yichan stripping off his shirt, Brandy Chastain style. <laughs> yeah, I, I, gosh, I don't know about those bra things, but yeah. But speaking of a need for support, mm. South Korea's opponent in this knockout round today, very shortly, happens to be Brazil. And how are, how are you feeling? How's your mom feeling? Like, what, what's going through your bloodstream right now as you contemplate, yeah, playing one of the favorites in this whole thing? I feel great, Pablo. Nobody expects anything out of South Korea in this one. We are the World Cup's Brock Purdy's, okay? We are a team of Mr. <laughs> Irrelevance uh, going up against, you know, the big bad Brazilians. Like, I, it's all upside from here. And I'm so proud of what they've accomplished thus far. God, Brock Purdy representing the entire uh, Asian diaspora is not where I thought we'd finish today's show. But Mina, thank you for getting us there. And yeah, well inside of regulation. <laughs> Thanks, Paolo. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.